You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, welcome to the program. It's Hour 2, Dan and the Danettes. Dan Patrick Show. Hope you had a great weekend. Phone calls are welcome, as we always do every Monday. Best and worst of the weekend. What you saw that you liked, you didn't like. And you can dial us up, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle is at dpshow. Say good morning to Chat Row. Also, when you call up, Marvin will be on the receiving end of those phone calls. The big German is handling the TV duties as our director on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. And, of course, on 362 radio affiliates around the country. Spent a lot of time first hour talking about Drew Brees, President Trump's tweet last night, almost around midnight, where he's calling out the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell had a video that he put out late Friday afternoon. And here we are, headed into a new week with some old issues here. But they're starting to surface. And Colin Kaepernick, his role in all of this, and Mark Maskey of the Washington Post had a, a column where he talked about that there feels like there's growing sentiment that maybe Colin Kaepernick will get an opportunity to come in and play a quarterback for somebody. I don't see that happening because... It, nobody's handing the keys over to him to be the starting quarterback. And that's what he would want. I want to be the starting quarterback. I should have been given a chance to be a starting quarterback. If you're bringing me in, it feels like you're, it's a, a little bit of tokenism here. Hey, look, we got you a job now. Go away. But the protests are going to continue and nobody's heard from Colin Kaepernick. He doesn't say much. Uh, The last that I heard, he was writing a book, but I haven't heard much from him. But I do know that the commissioner did not mention Colin Kaepernick's name. McLevin, did you check and see, is the commissioner allowed to say Colin Kaepernick's name after that collusion lawsuit? Wow, I don't know. I'll look up and see if there's anything written on it. And if you'd like to separate sports and politics, this hasn't been your week or your month or your year. And, you know, it's, it's about 2020, a year like no other in American history. And maybe sports has always been political especially when it comes to race, but now it's unavoidable because of social media. Players have a platform, and it's right on their phone. You can tweet. You can do a video. They've been front and center. Opinions, actions. For the most part, athletes' lives are open books, and that means sometimes they're expected to weigh in on matters that go beyond playing on a basketball court, football field, baseball field. Michael Jordan once famously refused to answer a political question because, quote, Republicans buy sneakers, too. Jordan came out passionately on the topic of racial equality this week. He's donating $100 million over the next 10 years. Now, maybe Jordan would have not have been comfortable saying something like that during his playing days, but times have changed. We're seeing just how much, you know, as athletes across their sports, let their voices be heard. McLovin, you got a poll question for me today? Yeah, we ranked the commissioners by asking who's your favorite commissioner. And, okay, so Adam Silver NBA wins, but can you guess who is last? I'm going to say Rob Manfred. Yeah. Major League Baseball. Is that, that, is that a currency bias because yeah. they can't get it together? It's- well, if we were announcing today baseball's coming back in mid-July, Rob Manfred wouldn't be last on the list. We'll talk to Tom Verducci, covers the sport. He'll join us coming up here in a little bit because... I didn't hear anything from baseball over the weekend. And as I said before with the NBA, when I don't hear something from you, I'm more optimistic. When I do hear and these plans get leaked, then we're playing a game in the media. 
Nobody's saying anything. That's a good thing, in my opinion. I mentioned this at the end of last hour. We were talking about quarterbacks and big arms. you got to have a big arm in there. And I said, no one ever said anything about Russell Wilson's arm. Never. Never heard it. Maybe when he was coming out of Wisconsin, they talked about, you know, does he have a strong enough arm? Paulie, check and see what his draft bio is. I have that, of course. Okay. I'm sure you do. But, you know, we, we get caught up in you. You got a big arm here. All right. Because Colin Kaepernick has a big arm. That doesn't mean he's going to get employed. That doesn't mean he was a great quarterback. At times, he was a great quarterback. 2019 most touchdown passes that traveled more than 20 yards in the air downfield. Patrick Mahomes led with 12, which you would expect. Second on the list, Russell Wilson Jr., the third. And then it's Aaron Rodgers. Now, this based on how far downfield the ball was thrown. It's not a five-yarder that turned into a 65-yarder. These were down-the-field throws. Yeah, Paul. Wilson does not have the same velocity as, say, a Brandon Whedon, but the ball comes out with enough velocity to be an NFL starter. That's a direct quote right before the NFL draft. He's no Brandon Whedon, Dan. No, he's not. I've been telling you that for years. Brandon Whedon. Tall. First-round pick. Yeah. I I got a script of that. Yeah. But could Brandon Whedon play the position? Another baseball guy, right? I mean, yeah. through a 99-hour mile-per-hour fastball. Yeah. All right, some phone calls here. Uh, Mike in Los Angeles. Good morning, Mike. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Good morning. I don't really have a, a best. Probably just a lot of worst, you know, with all the controversy and everything going on. But um, I was told this, and I'm sure you can probably verify. Um, years ago, the uh, players weren't even out during the anthem. So maybe they might have to do something like that, you know, where you keep the anthem just for the fans and stuff. I don't think that the uh, players will allow that to happen. But, Mike, I think you're right that they'd have the anthem. Like, the anthem wasn't a big deal. And then all of a sudden it became, it was a showcase because somebody was going to sing it. Or you'd have the flyover, we'd be able to show off the military. I don't remember when I was growing up that the anthem was a big deal, where I'd go, uh, oh, this is a big ceremony here. Or everybody stops during the anthem. But that was when I was younger. But now it is a big deal. Yeah, McLovin. I still don't think it's on TV, though, until, except for the Super Bowl. Like, so it's, it's a big deal, but it's not so ingrained in the game. Like, when I, we were kids, it was, yeah. I, was, I, I went to games all the time, never saw it, never saw the players out there. I was trying to remember when I was growing up and I'd watch the NFL and I, I couldn't remember the anthem. I couldn't remember players lined up. I still go back to, and, and, you know, we would have Whitney Houston at the Super Bowl, what was that, 28, 29 years ago? That was one of the biggest moments I remember with the anthem. Like, it was powerful in Tampa. And you had the flyover. I, just, I thought it was the best rendition of the anthem that I'd ever heard. But it became more of a ceremony. Yes, Pauline. I went back to when Kaepernick thing just started, and it, it happened in a preseason game, or an early season game, a preseason game, I should say, yeah. and a, a reporter in the um, skybox noticed Kaepernick down in the field. Traditionally, and the same article had talked to a bunch of different uh, networks, they do not show the uh, anthem being played in most NFL games, unless there's some type of delay or it goes later, but usually it's scheduled. 
Occasionally in playoff games, they will show the anthem and pan across the players, but that's a network-by-network decision. And then, of course, in the Super Bowl, they do. But generally, almost exclusively NFL games, regular season, they do not show and broadcast the national anthem. Maya in Texas joins us. Hey, Maya. Hello, how are you? Good, good. What's on your mind today? Well, um, we were all sitting around talking about when the NFL NFL finally gets started and the national anthem goes on. Um, We personally don't feel kneeling is a good way to uh, protest this, but we're hoping maybe instead they could have an 8-minute, 46-second silence time um, to recognize what's going on right now. The death of uh, George Floyd, where the officer had his knee uh, had his knee on his neck for uh, that amount of time. Thank you, Maya. Yeah, I understand if if you look at this through the eyes or the optics of the president. You know, the president of the United States had a tweet late last night saying, "Could it be even remotely possible that in Roger Goodell's rather interesting statement of peace and reconciliation, he was intimating?" that he would now be okay for the players to kneel or not to stand for the national anthem, thereby disrespecting our country and our flag. If you have these different viewpoints here, then this isn't going away. I don't think we're going to ever be in agreement of what it means, but you're going to look at the anthem, you're going to look at the flag, and you're going to see something different than somebody else will. Maybe more people will at least have open eyes and ears to it to just understand. And that's why I always go back to this. Colin Kaepernick risked his career for this. And because of that, you know, when I first saw it, I was disappointed. I was like, oh, he's kneeling during the anthem. And I wondered what the fallout was going to be. And then once you hear what he was protesting about, he was using the moment to be on the biggest stage, to have people then ask questions. Why are you kneeling? Then he got a chance to talk about police brutality and social injustice. But until then, I was looking at this narrow-minded and going, oh, you can't be kneeling. And then when you realize that it's not about the anthem and disrespecting the flag as much as he wants you to understand what is it about that flag and why is that flag different for me than it is for you? And then that's where I was trying to understand that. And I've since come around and under, I completely understand why it's so important and continues to be so important, but it's going to be polarizing. It's going to be politicized. It's going to be polarizing. I understand it. Even having some trepidation, bringing it up today. I don't have the answers here, but we do want to explore. We want to ask. We want to move forward with this. What's the NFL going to do? These are all legitimate questions. What is the commissioner going to do? What are the individual owners going to do? You're going to have this in an election year, and this president is going to continue to tweet about this. He feels strongly about it. His fan base feels strongly about it. And I understand that that it's not going to go away. Does the commissioner stay with this? Do the owners fall in line with the commissioners? Do the owners fall in line with the president of the United States? Drew Brees, I thought, took a pretty courageous stance when he responded to the president saying this is not about the flag. I don't know what Drew Brees is going to do on the sidelines this year. Because you're going to see players kneeling. Will you see 
white players kneeling? Will you see the white stars kneeling? Is J.J. Watt going to? Is Tom Brady going to? Is Ben Roethlisberger going to? That's where it goes. It takes another step. Now, you might say, what's, in what direction does it take? It's going to take another step. Because the, the black athlete has said, we need the white stars to be on our sides and understand this. And we're going to find out. You know, Tom Brady has spoken about this. J.J. Watt has spoken about this. Now Drew Brees has apologized for his take on it. And now we're going to find out what's going to happen on the sidelines here in a few months. But we have three months before that happens. Where are we in three months with this topic? Is there a way for the NFL to say to its players, how do we let you have something public so you still get that platform? You know, one thing that would help is if the NFL is going to stay with, you know, true to its words and, you know, still be invested in this because we move on so quickly. And if I'm an African-American player in the NFL, I just want to make sure I still have the focus, your attention, the commissioner, as we move into the season and when this season starts. And is there a way that you can do this where we're going to do it this upcoming season? And then we've seen enough progress and we won't do this again. If I'm the commissioner, that would be my goal. Let's recognize it. Let's listen. Let's watch. Let's join arms. Now let's move on. And maybe you move past this, but it's going to be front and center. And it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be uncomfortable. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Greg in Illinois is back. Hi, Greg. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Happy Monday to you and the boys. Uh, Best, worst, and a question for you. Best is Drew Bees' response to the president. Um, I think, as you said, he's taking time to listen and to educate himself, and uh, I feel like uh, he's doing that. My worst is I was so bored this week and I actually read the United States flag code, and we often disrespect the flag based on that. Um, So all of us can kind of reflect on that. But my question for you has to do with the NFL's history of marginalizing mediocre players' ideas. I'm wondering uh, if you think Goodell makes these comments if the star players aren't the ones speaking out. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, I'm not sure I followed that. Uh, yeah, Paul. I think he was asking at the end, does Goodell make his statement if the players didn't put out the video the day before? Oh, I do think that the NFL reacted. Absolutely. I don't think the NFL ever acts. They react. Absolutely. And I think that the commissioner probably saw what Drew Brees said and read what he said and then thought that maybe it's okay to put out a video. And Because you had a rogue employee inside the NFL who put out this video that's got 20 million views with all of the star players there. I think the commissioner looked at it and went, oh, all right, let me be along for the ride here. But I don't think the NFL acts as much as they react. And I think they're looking at what is going to be good for business. Down the road, what is going to be good for business? Uh, Let's see. McLovin found something. uh, Forbes magazine on why the commissioner may not have said Colin Kaepernick's name in his video. Legality could have played a role here. While Kaepernick and the league settled the collusion lawsuit early last year, it remains to be seen whether the former Super Bowl quarterback can take further action against the NFL. This could be a reason why Goodell failed to mention the former NFLer in his statement. 
that theory is being floated about. However, the more likely scenario is that Goodell maintained his previous stance that Kaepernick is unemployed strictly for football reasons. Yeah, I got the feeling when he didn't mention Kaepernick that this had something to do with the collusion lawsuit. And, you know, because Kaepernick can reopen this. You know, the NFL came out and apologized. The former VP of communications, Joe Lockhart, came out and apologized. Said we made a mistake. If I'm Colin Kaepernick's attorney, I'm like, well, wait a minute here. Hey, uh, hey, Cap, come here. I think we got something. And I know that people talked about 50 or $60 million that he got. You know, I, I was told he got nowhere near that, that it was probably less than $5 million. But I don't know. You know, a victory is a victory. You can have a financial victory, and then you have a victory. And, you know, Colin Kaepernick is probably taking a victory lap here, even though he's not probably not going to get a job. All right, we'll take a break. More phone calls coming up. And uh, we'll talk to Tom Berducci. Are we going to have baseball this year? 18 after the hour. We'll take a break. Back after this in the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. More phone calls coming up. Best and worst of the weekend. We'll give you ours, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. So we've updated you on the NFL situation. The NBA looks like it's full speed ahead by the end of July. Hockey's coming back. Golf's coming back. Everybody's coming back except for Major League Baseball. And, of course, that means we have Tom Berducci on. Tom, when is baseball coming back? Uh, I'd love to just tell you July, Dan. I've been thinking that all along and purely out of optimism because right now the rhetoric is terrible. Both sides are really dug in. If you're just taking the temperature of negotiations, you would say there's no agreement here. But I still believe, Dan, that the downside to not playing baseball, especially as you mentioned, all these other sports are up and running, is so enormous. That's the biggest motivator to get a deal done. So I'm still optimistic. It doesn't look like the 4th of July the way owners originally wanted, but I think somewhere along the lines of 60 to 70 games, maybe by the beginning of August. But the NBA has the luxury of all being self-quarantined in Orlando. You have your basketball courts there. You have the facilities. You'll have testing available. You know, baseball is still, we're not quite sure. Are they going to be in Arizona and Florida? Arizona are their home parks here. Are you going to play East Coast versus East Coast? Like, there's a lot that really has to be sorted out here. And then you have the money aspect here. What is front and center the biggest hurdle before we have baseball it's the money pure and simple i mean this is like one of those old-fashioned players owners labor disputes and i think that's why the downside is so big then that if there is no baseball it's not because there was this enormous concern about the protocols and the, the health issues it's strictly about money on the players side i can tell you this the players now have found a reason to be galvanized like I have not seen in years. This is not about pensions or service time or some esoteric CBA issue. Purely about taking a pay cut. They understand it. They can rally around it. And that, I think that's why that, that they're dug in. As far as where they play, you know, listen, I think they're a little bit of a benefit here as opposed to the NBA. They're playing the games outside. Uh, from what we know about the spread of the virus, it's a little 
less risky being outdoors. Where they play, it looking, it's looking like it's going to be in major league ballparks. You know, the state of Texas is saying you can have 50% capacity. Some places are saying, forget it. You're not going to count on anybody being in the ballpark. So it's, it's a local issue in terms of who's going to be there, but they are planning to play mostly empty ballparks, major league stadiums. What will baseball look like when it comes back? Um, listen, I, I, I'm like a lot of people, I think I'll take it any way I can get it. But when you think about the fact that they're putting in 30 man rosters with 15 man pitching staffs after a three week spring training, I don't want to say glorified spring training, but the games will be heavy in pitching changes and less offense, which are two things we don't want as fans, right? I mean, we'll have to take what we can get. But when baseball came back in 81, remember that was the two month strike they started in August. Rosters remained at 25. So baseball pretty much looked the same. Offense went slightly up in the month of August of 81. But if you're giving managers 15-man pitching staffs and starting pitchers are not stretched out to pitch even their usual five or six innings, you're looking at more pitching changes, less offense. Does Jacob DeGrom win the Cy Young with a 5-3 and three record? <laughs> I guess it depends on his ERA, right? I mean, yeah. listen, it's – we're not going to get a quote-unquote legitimate season. We're not going to get a quote-unquote legitimate champion. But if I can again go back to 81, you had four teams earn a playoff spot. Remember, that was the split season year. Four teams got into the playoffs by playing only 53 games. There was a world champion there. You had a playoff system. All right, it wasn't the usual 162 and everything we're traditionally used to, but it still worked. I mean, I'll take it. And again, is there an asterisk? You know, maybe at least mentally there is, but somebody's going to win the Cy Young. Somebody's going to be the MVP. <laughs> Baseball had such a golden opportunity here. Like you could have monopolized summer. And, mm. and I know that there's health issues, but really health is not first and foremost here. I know Blake Snell said this. this it's always about money. It, it's going to be about money. If I gave baseball a do-over through this, Tom, Two months ago, I give the commissioner and Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association, a do-over. What would you do over? Well, I, I think you start the negotiations from a, a closer vantage point because, remember, owners first came in and floated the idea of a revenue-sharing plan, right, a 50-50 split. Well, that's essentially a salary cap. And anybody who's been around baseball for five minutes, never mind the last 50 years, knows that that's a non-starter. That was a, not a good place to start. Then they came back with this sliding pay cut thing where Mike Trout, Garrett Cole, biggest stars in the game, would take the biggest pay cuts. Well, that's not going to do it with the players because the, the union is a top-down driven organization. The players are the ones, the stars of the game, who set the salary standards they have the loudest voice, even if it's a, a minority of, of the rank and file. So that kind of ticked off the stars and their agents, especially the game. So that kind of got things off in a wrong spot there, Dan. And I think we've lost time because of that. But you're absolutely right. There was an opportunity here. I looked at 4th of July weekend. Yeah. Cubs are playing the Cardinals. Yankees are playing the Red Sox. Dodgers are playing the Giants. We're starting to move about outdoors. Baseball's got the advantage of being sort of episodic, right? It's with us every day, unlike the other sports are more event-oriented. And being part of that, quote, normalizing of routines in America, baseball would be a big part of that. Still, still got a chance to do that, but it had the platform to itself by being the first ones back. Now we don't know. 
I know we're optimistic. We want to be optimistic, but how close are we to the worst case scenario here, Tom, that there is no baseball this summer? Um, you know, I, I don't know what the percentage is, Dan, but it's a possibility. And again, I think that just scare the pants off the players and the owners, because you're talking about a sport the last seven years, attendance has declined every year. You cannot go 17 months without playing a major league baseball game in this day and age where baseball is at. Now the last shutdown was 94, 95, right? That's a long time ago. That's a generation ago, Dan. And since then, we have MMA. We, the NFL is bigger. The, the uh, NBA is bigger. There's so many more entertainment opportunities for people out there. People are will be out of the habit of baseball. And don't underestimate the power of habit. Yeah. So I do think it's a possibility. But again, I, I'm going to still be on the side of saying there's going to be a season of some length, I think somewhere around 70. And I say that because there's actually some agreement here. The players say, we want to be paid on a prorated basis. The owners came back and said, okay, we'll do that, but we'll only play 50 games. So now actually philosophically, there is some agreement. To me, it's a matter of finding what that number is here that's palatable to the owners and the players. I'd like to think it's 70. I know it's not that simple of just doing math, but at least philosophically, they can get to some schedule where players are paid on a prorated basis. Which team or teams would benefit from a shortened season? This may surprise you. Tampa Bay Rays. I I look at that team and I, I don't think there's any pitching staff in baseball, Dan, that has better stuff from one through 15 than the Rays. And again, I think with an expanded pitching staff and pitchers going five innings, depth of quality arms is going to win the day. And I I defy, even the Dodgers, I don't think can match up one through 15 of what the Rays can throw out there. So I think in a 50 to 70 game season, the Tampa Bay Rays are the most dangerous team. This is all going to be about pitching. Yep. Yeah. I think so, and I think a lot of it, Dan, too, is how do you get these guys ramped up in time to really hit the ground running once games start? You know, when I talk to Scott Boris about this, because he's got Garrett Cole, he's got Steven Strasburg, he's got Max Scherzer, he actually brought up the idea of just because spring training 2.0 is three weeks, why would you put those elite pitchers at $30 million per year on that kind of compressed schedule? Keep them on their regular four- or five-week spring training. Maybe they miss a start or two in the quote-unquote regular season, but protecting those elite arms may be something that teams have to look at. So, listen, these guys have kept their arms moving, but this has been like, you know, in a a purgatory state for three months for these pitchers. You know, they haven't been really ramping up. They haven't been throwing off a mound. They've been playing catch. It's like January that never ends preparing for a season. So they'll come back in varying degrees of shape in terms of arm health. And that's something every club is going to have to really, really pay attention to very closely. I can't imagine what your day is like. No matter where you go, you probably get the same question. Hey, when's baseball coming back? Like as if you're the gatekeeper here and you decide when baseball is coming back. Yeah, but listen, I understand it. I kind of asked myself that question too, because there's a lot of frustration, Dan, here because People want baseball. Listen, we all want all sports, right? We want as much normalcy as we can. But I think people have figured out here that the reason there is no plan for baseball right now is simply money. And maybe that's unfair to boil it down that way. But baseball, I think, has to be aware that if there is no baseball, as I said, people are not just out of the habit of baseball. They will resent baseball, man, because it will be – 
because we didn't have Gates, it was only because they couldn't agree about money. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And we'll, uh, we'll end it there. Tom, great to talk to you again. Get baseball back, okay? Come on. <laughs> when will we have it back? I don't know. I'll, I'll do Thank best. you, Tom. Tom Berducci, Sports Illustrated Senior Baseball Writer and MLB Network Analyst. Yeah, I don't know. I think people are going to be resentful. I really do. I think they'll be resentful of these players. Maybe the owners a little bit, but certainly the players. They, you know, they don't see the owners. You know, when you go to a game, you see the players, and I, I just, it feels like there's going to be resentment here. I want to be optimistic, but it's always been about money. I think we started out with health concerns. Now you, you basically get down to the bottom line, and that's about finances, about money. How much money are we going to make? And if the owners are losing money with each game, why would you want to have more games? That's why they want to have 50. But you want to get that TV money, but if you're not getting fans in the stands and you're losing half a million dollars a game, then you're looking at this going, wait, we're going to play more games and lose more money but we also have to pay these players. And that's why I wondered, are some of these owners privately saying, you know what, let's just not, not play baseball. And I have to pay the salaries and we uh, don't lose all this money with you know, the, the revenue that's lost with fans in the stands. Yeah, Paul. It's the most obvious thing, but it's the one sport that can't afford it. It's the one sport that is just, you look at the demographics of their sport, it's, it's all 50-plus-year-old men. They can. They you said a couple weeks ago. They have an opportunity here to oh grab some people who are casual baseball fans to spending a whole night watching three hours of baseball. Yeah, that's the shame of this. That and look, I understand the obstacles here, but baseball has put everything out there. And you know, when you start to think short term, is when you get in trouble here. You got to be thinking bigger picture, long term, and the importance of what baseball would mean now. If you had games that were going to start 4th of July, as Tom said, Dodgers, Giants, Red Sox, Yankees. Now you have some Cubs, Cardinals, and then you're off and running. But I, I am curious about the depth of pitching staffs. Used to be if you went about seven or eight or nine deep, you know, with the, with the three or three starters, and then you had middle guys in bullpen. Now you're looking at, 12 to 15 pitchers. And that's why when he said the Tampa Rays, that certainly caught my attention there. All right, some phone calls. 877-3DP-SHOW. We'll give you our best and worst of the weekend. Brandon in Virginia joins us. Good morning, Brandon. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, DP. Uh, I just wanted to uh, give my uh, thoughts on the uh, Drew Brees and uh, Colin Kaepernick that we're dealing with currently in our country. And um, as a disabled Marine Corps veteran, I have attended dozens of funerals for Marine Corps veterans. And during those funerals, the flag is draped on the casket and is a symbol of ultimate sacrifice, which allows our First Amendment. And that flag is also handed to the Gold Star family as a way to remember their fallen loved one. And so just because a Green Beret agrees that it is okay to me does not mean for the rest of us. And Drew Brees also said that the national anthem is a way for us to unify. So my question is, as multiple callers have called in, giving great ideas about alternative platforms mm -hmm. for these guys. So why is the infatuation about the anthem when there is the Broncos team that we discussed that they were able to unify peacefully protesting? And there's other ways that we can peacefully protest and get behind their movement and respect to what they are doing. But why can't they respect our opinion also here as 
disablement and what I explained to you in terms of what the flag means to us and the sacrifice and why, how that allows us our first amendment. So thank you guys for your time. Thank you, Brandon. Um, trying to find the platform is the key. And that's why when I, when I saw Kaepernick and he was sitting the first time, I thought, boy, this is, this is going to be explosive. And then he's, you know, he knelt on the sidelines and yes, Brandon brings up, you know, the uh, former NFL player, Green Beret, who said, hey, kneel, because then it doesn't look like you're disrespecting the flag. People are still going. I looked at it that way. Like you're kneeling while the anthem is played. And then I'm trying to find out why would Colin Kaepernick do this? He was risking his career and, you know, he got death threats. He was risking his life. And I understand both sides of this. It's the NFL if they could have found a better way to allow these protesters to have their moment where they could say, we want eyes on us. We want people asking about this. I don't think we would be in this situation. But when you say you can't or we'll cut you or we're not going to let you guys out of the locker room. So now all this was, it was about money. You know, the the owners were caring more about the fans than they were their own players because the players are interchangeable. They come and go. The fans, you want them there for a lifetime. And I think when the owners pick sides on this and the commissioner felt like he picked sides, the president picked sides, I think it just kind of galvanized these players to say, we want our voices heard. We want to be seen. And if you could come up with, and this, if I'm the commissioner, I want to talk to Patrick Mahomes, Eric Reed. I want to talk to these guys, Malcolm Jenkins, and just say, how can we do this so it's not accompanying the anthem? Now, they may say, look, that flag doesn't represent the same to me as it does white America. We had african-americans who went and fought in world war one or world war ii and they came back or the vietnam war they they were not afforded the same privileges as their white counterparts then there's the police brutality involved in this it, it this is it, there's so much intertwined with this and trying to unspoil it you know like take it apart and go okay now that'll work i don't know if it's a plug and play but that would be my goal as the commissioner with this topic. We continue to be part of this. We move with you, not against you. Now, how do we do something that is going to be a little bit more, I'm not going to say placating the audience, but it has to be, um, it has to feel like it's a, a co-op. You know, we're, we're in it together. Uh, you know, we're going to disagree. We agree to disagree, but we're in it together. It's just, if you have hardliners here, then we're not going to make much progress with this. And I respect, Brandon, what you said and that, you know, your service um, and what that must feel like and look like when you know what that flag is and you have had, you know, compatriots that you've had to bury and go to their funerals and you see that flag and what that flag means. And I understand that. My father has a flag. You know, with his dress blues, like I, I understand it, but I have to be able to expand my mind to understand the other side of this because I don't know that world. I don't know what that feels like, 
but I'm trying to understand that. And I think that's the progress we'll make is trying to understand it. We don't agree, but understanding is one thing. If you just have this, this is my feeling and that's the way it is, and uh, I don't want to hear the other side, then look, it's your prerogative. But we won't make progress if that's the case. All right, we'll take a break. More phone calls. We'll give you our best and worst of the weekend coming up here. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Seton just brought something to my attention. Closed caption is a tricky thing. Last Friday, I said, uh, I want to uh, talk about uh, Drew Brees. And uh, closed caption had something other than Drew Brees on the screen. It was the word boobies. Dude. Yes. Yeah. It said, I, uh, I, I want to comment on boobies. I want to comment on boobies. <laughs> and uh, that was the uh, uh, closed caption there. <laughs> you imagine it's somebody who's watching. They're going, I'd like to. And I'm so serious when I'm talking about this. And they're probably going, oh, my God. Wait. Oh, he looks really serious. Yeah, a buddy of mine sent it to me. He's like, what are you guys talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> it's like spell check. You know, that you go, wait, I didn't say that. Spell check. Sometimes, you know, that's your best friend. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I did want to talk about boobies, but I didn't want to talk about boobies then. I was talking about Drew Brees. Uh, Booby Clark, by the way, <laughs> former running back, Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, McLovin. Do you ever have something that autocorrects in a text and then you try and fix it and you end up autocorrecting a different word and you send the wrong word like five times in a text to a friend? I have somebody who always, like they voice their message and it's so bad. I mean, you have no idea. My wife will do that. And like, I'll just go... Why do you? What do you want me to do? And it'll be so scattered. It's like four different thoughts. And it, I, I go, I call, and I go, uh, "Hun, what, what are you talking about?" And then she makes it seem like, "Oh, well, I ask you to go." Da, 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 and I go, "That's not what your message said." Yeah, Todd. If you notice a misspelled word, to McLovin's point, do you go back? Is it anal to go back and fix that word, even though it's obvious in the context of the text what that word is, but you feel a need that you have to fix the spelling of it? And resend the whole message. Uh, depends on the message, I guess. If it doesn't change the the definition of uh, what your the point you're trying to make, you le- you leave out pronouns. I do. Yeah, but I but I'll do that all the time, and I'll feel like I, I need to like let the person know that I know how to spell from or something like that. And I'll, <laughs> I'll have to retype it, even though it's obvious that that's what the word is. Yeah, Paul. I do go back, and I don't proofread my emails. But if I see that I made a mistake in punctuation or spelling, I will correct it. I, I don't. I don't want that out there that I can't spell or I have horrible grammar. I know I'm not great at either, but I don't want it trumpeted. My f- my friend is dot dot dot. Ugh, nothing's worse than that guy. Yeah, Be- because when you have when you have nothing to say, you put <laughs> dot 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 and make us fill in the rest. Yeah, dot dot dot. I do that a lot. And Paulie's called me out on that a few times, especially in the subject line of an email that I'll send you guys just to make sure that you'll open it. The dot, dot, dot means there's more to it than just a few words I put in the subject line. Let's uh, go around the room. Best and worst of the weekend. Seton O'Connor, your best and worst of the weekend. I just watched last night um, Ford versus Ferrari. It's good. It was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the ending. Uh, yeah, the ending kind of stunk. Yeah. But I mean, it's the story, <laughs> right? I guess it is. I don't. It's a true story. How can you? I know, but just the way I don't know. 
You know what though? I I kind of hated Matt Damon's character in it. I don't know if I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but I was like, dang, if this guy would just stick up for his buddy just once in his whole life. He's good in the role. Oh yeah, he's great in the role. Yeah, and Christian Bale is is good too. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie. That's right. my best ever. Okay. All right. Oh, and worse. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's the whole thing. Okay. McLovin, best and worst of the weekend. I got nothing. <laughs> there was no <laughs> sports. There's no... My wife... All right, I'll just tell real quick. My wife wants to watch the show Alias from 2001 with Jennifer Garner. <laughs> so we got four episodes into Alias, but that feels like the most dated best and worst ever. <laughs> Boobies. Boobies. I need, new, I need more shows, Dan. I need your help after the show. We're out of shows. I've been telling you. Better call Saul. Just do that right now. Uh, Killing Eve, do that. Like if you if, if you just need a few seasons, those are both really good. Just first season of Killing Eve, you'll be fine. Yeah, McClub. But I have this secret. I never saw Breaking Bad. I I feel so out of it by so. Can I do Better Call Saul without having seen Breaking Bad? Yes. Watch Better Call Saul and then watch Breaking Bad, and you'll like. I'd be envious of you if that if you were going to go Better Call Saul and then do Breaking Bad. Paulie, best and worst of the week. I, I'm with Andrew. I actually kind of unintentionally did not watch a television from Friday until Sunday evening at about 8 o'clock. It was unintentional. Mm. Quite refreshing. Mm. But on a, any other weekend, if there were sports and other things, I would have watched. Nothing really good. The NASCAR was pretty good. I taped a little NASCAR and watched it last night. Um, that's about it. Todd? Uh, I went with an emotional Saturday night UFC 250. Cody Stamen defeats Brian Kelleher by unanimous decision after his 18-year-old brother Jacob unexpectedly had passed away in his sleep uh, last week. So it was nice to see him get the uh, the victory. My worst, I know you guys were talking about it earlier, uh, and maybe there's legal reasons, but Roger Goodell not mentioning Colin Kaepernick by name late Friday afternoon in that news dump on camera statement. I had a problem. Yeah, I was surprised. It was late Friday afternoon. Paulie goes, uh, NFL with a news dump. And I was like, and, you know, so I went on websites and I go, oh, the commissioner put out a video at 530 on Friday, or at least it felt like it was around five o'clock. And that's usually what happens when you want to have a news dump where it just sort of disappears into the weekend. But it was a powerful message, I think. I think it resonated with a lot of players. At least it feels like that. Final hour coming up. More phone calls. Update the poll results. The best commissioner in sports is... Adam Silver. Worse, Rob Manfred. All right, we need to change it up for the final hour. I got an option. All right, more phone calls. Best and worst of the weekend. We'll get to those. Two hours in the books. One more to go on this Monday. Dan and the Danettes. Dan Patrick Show. Boobies. <laughs> 